And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. Today's guest is David Such. David has researched near-death experiences for 12 years, including NDE testimonies of over 700 people. And we're going to pick his brain this evening. David, thanks for joining us and welcome. Pleasure to be here with you, Jeff. Are you at this point 100% certain that NDEs are real? Oh, yes. I was quite shocked when I started uh, my research that my aunt, uh, who had never told about anybody about her experience, said, yeah, when I was given birth to your cousin, I died and I was in heaven. And she told me about her experience. <laughs> it was kind of funny. She said she got there and she was walking by. And there was a plant. It looked like a common house plant. And the house plant spoke to her in her mind. You know, hi. And she says, you can talk. And the plant says, well, yes, I can. <laughs> One guy, when I was looking for a, a vehicle, uh, this salesman was missing an arm. And I didn't ask him about it, but he told me, he says, yeah, I was in a, an accident. I was water skiing and I, I fell and a, the boat behind us ran over me and severed my arm. And I, I arrived DOA at the hospital. And I said to him, well, did you see your body from above? Did you go through a tunnel? Did you see a light filled with love and purposefulness and peace? And he said, that happened to you too. Mm -hmm. Why did somebody make up a lie and never tell anybody? <laughs> you know, yet yeah, I am absolutely sure without a doubt, these experiences are real. They're more real than this life. And they change lives. Even hearing about them changes lives. My whole life changed. Mm -hmm. Political views, social views, religious views the way I treat other people. It, it all changed because of what these guys say. Oh yeah, it's real. <laughs> what are some of the biggest changes that happened to you in your life? Well, I was a real arrogant, judgmental SOB. That's the best way I can put it. I became a much more calm and gentle person. Uh, I became a lot more accepting of other people's beliefs I gave up on my religion, but I still honor and respect people. I still have quite a few Christian friends, and I do my best to honor and respect them. Love doesn't challenge another person's belief. It encourages them to explore how they want to believe and what they want to believe. Probably the biggest change has been joy. I was not a happy person. I was in a corporate job making a, a nice six-figure salary, living really comfortably, taking trips to Europe and scuba diving all over the world and having adventures. And I just wasn't happy inside. And now I live in a little farm house out in the country with my wife and I'm on a budget. I got out of the corporate world. It's easier having a budget than a boss. Mm. And I am just much happier. I, my family and I never got along. We were always butting heads. Me and my father always butted heads. And he's an agnostic. I mean, he doesn't believe in any of the stuff that I do. But the near-death experiences really taught me how to just do a lot better job at unconditionally loving others. That's probably the best way to explain it. My political views changed as well. I mean, I used to be a, a person who would say things. I remember saying, you know, when when they talked about terrorism, well, we should just nuke the place and let God sort them out. And it's like, Oh, I mean, I can't believe I would say that. Um, today I'm a pacifist. Uh, there's plenty of ways to solve problems peacefully. And I was even, a a, a real, 
chauvinist, male chauvinist. You know, I, I really talked bad about women and, and uh, made fun of women. And we have, now I realize we have a lack of balance in our society. Men have kind of had the upper hand and control for a long time. And there's talk about toxic masculinity. Well, there's no such thing. There's, there's out of balance. So we've got too much male energy. If there was a good balance, we wouldn't have had all the wars. Women would not send their sons and daughters to die on the battlefield. So it changed things. It made me very open-minded. I am far less skeptical when I hear something that's difficult to believe. I'm far more open-minded now that I've seen the evidence of what seemed unbelievable before. Mm-hmm. It's a much better life. And as well, it can be difficult. I Early on in my uh, interviews, one guy I interviewed, it was a five-hour interview, and he said, well, you're going to start developing psychic powers. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a retired engineer. I laughed at the guy because mm-hmm. I said, I don't believe in that stuff. And it started happening. Nothing very useful, mind you. I'm not getting tomorrow's lottery numbers or which stock is going up, but I'll get things like, um, you know, I'll get a flash of what's going on in somebody's life. And then I give them an encouraging word about it or something like that. It's usually something that to help another. I can't focus on something and read people's minds or anything like that, but we all have psychic abilities. It's just a matter to use them. So those are the, the major changes. I've kind of gotten my own idea of stages of the NDE from guests, and I've kind of put it into about four or five stages. They first maybe leave their body into the black void, and then if they go a little bit further, they'll leave their body and kind of be looking around in the room. And then maybe level three would be they'll actually go through a tunnel and go somewhere And then level four, maybe they'll go all the way out into the cosmos. So that's kind of like, like I said, a level system I've come up with. What do you have? Well, I've never divided up into levels, but you kind of hit the nail on the head. There's the experience is very greatly depending on the length. Um, And to use that term length is odd because they all say one thing. There's no time on the other side of the veil. So they can be dead a minute or two and have an experience that's more extensive. One man said it was more extensive than his college degree. But the most common one that I hear is a person is at the scene of an accident or has a heart attack or a surgery in the hospital that's gone wrong. They come out of their body. They see themselves from above. They see the surgeons or the people trying to help them at the scene of an accident. They can hear the thoughts and feel the emotions of the people there. And then they go back into their body. Uh, Some hear or feel something getting, getting their attention from behind or off to one side and they look, they see a pinpoint of light. They're drawn to it like a magnet. Um, Some during that stage are told it's not your time and they're told to go back. Others come into the light and they describe it as being 10,000 times brighter than the sun, not at all harmful to the eyes like it would be here. They describe a warmth that's not a temperature warmth, Uh, but a feeling of just being wrapped up or almost hugged in love. They describe a love that's so strong. Even the word love is indescribable. Um, One man said, imagine the hundred happiest moments of your life. Put them all into one moment. You still don't come close to what it feels like to be there. Another man said, imagine the strongest love you've ever felt in your entire life and multiply it by about 500. And that's about how it feels. 
even uh, battle-hardened soldiers, you know, with muscles and tattoos, these tough guys, when they talk about being in this light, they cry. And many say it changed their life. It was the best experience of their life. The light, people don't have to be told it's God. It's like the universe reverberates his name. Some are given a life review where they go through their life from beginning to end. Um, some are told at that point they have to go back. Others are given a choice. A choice. Uh, they, this light or whoever they're with, some people are with spiritual beings or angels or a religious figure, whatever they happen to feel most comfortable with. Heaven creates the environment to make you feel comfortable. Uh, they're shown the benefits of them returning. And of course, if I heard their experience, they chose to come back. And it can be very difficult. Uh, some people have very extensive these are more rare near-death experiences, very extensive. Some um, are taken, one lady was taken on a tour of the universe and back to when the universe was created. One man said he asked several thousand questions while he was up there and he was only dead for about a minute. And so they come back, uh, all the pain in their body is back if it was an accident or a hospital incident. And uh, that's that's basically it. They They all vary completely. Some people are brought into gardens. Depends on what you like. If you're a nature person, they'll bring you into a garden. If you feel comfortable with your grandma and she's like the you know most wonderful person in the world, grandma's going to be there to meet you. So even people have met their pets. So they create an environment where you feel comfortable. What, in your opinion, is the black void? I don't know what the black void is. The people who are just in the black void, no, those are fairly common. They describe a piece and uh, a sort of feeling of comfort, weightlessness. Um, and I believe the black void is just sort of an environment. If I had to guess, I've never heard it described by a near-death experiencer. They haven't speculated on what it is. They just describe it. But I believe it's an environment where you can create using consciousness. So there's some near-death experiences, for instance, when they're first in the black void, they get scared because they don't know what's going on. And if they follow that fear, it can become a very hellish experience. And there's even been cases where they finally said, okay, well, I'm dead. There's nothing I can do about it. And they relax. And as soon as they relax and let go of the fear, it becomes a peaceful and positive experience. So I think, I, I suspect it's an environment where consciousness creates what it wants to create. Okay. It's kind of like a staging area or something. It's like a before you, right. before mm -hmm. you leave and go somewhere. I've heard of going through the tunnel as being described as that's what it's like when you're leaving your body. What do you think about that? From what I've heard, I, I would speculate that it's different. To, I've heard the process described, especially when somebody's dying slowly, they describe their spirit coming out of their body through their forehead or chest area. It can start with a, a bone chilling cold from the feet that comes up. And they're very aware when their spirit comes out and they're looking at their body from above. And then they turn and see the tunnel. I think it's more of a traveling area. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be part of the whole process. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it's an ineffable experience. So it's hard to put into human words, but that could be part of the process. I really don't know. How do you know that experiences are real and not hallucinations or the trick of a dying brain? Well, that's an interesting question. It's one that a lot of people ask and... They like to look for reasons why it can't be true, because a lot of people are invested in a particular religion, and these experiences that these people have, they talk about things that can't be matched with any religion, so people are always looking for reasons to dismiss them, 
And they say things like it's a trick of the dying brain. When you die, uh, the brain releases all its serotonin and dopamine. That's why you have the feel good feelings. Some people say that light is actually uh, as the vision and the brain is dying, uh, the cones start to die and you focus into a certain spot. That doesn't match what these people say uh, and what happens to them. So, for instance, one woman, Pam Reynolds, she had a brain aneurysm. And what they did during her surgery is they drained all the blood from her body. They cooled the body down to a very low temperature, stopped the heart, drain all the blood. There's no brain activity. There's no heartbeat. She was dead for an hour during the surgery. Well, she was above her body at first. When she came back, she was able to describe exactly what the surgeon said. She described all the instruments used. Um, That can't be dismissed as a trick of the dying brain. There was a little girl who was five years old. Uh, She died, I believe, of a high fever. And she was taken through heaven, she said, by Poppy. And as her parents questioned her, they finally figured it out that it was her great grandfather. Mm -hmm. So they showed her pictures of her great grandfather. And she says, no, that's not Poppy. And they couldn't figure out what was going on. Well, a few months later, when they went went to visit a relative, there was a picture of her great grandfather on the wall when the great grandfather was young Mm. and she got all excited. That's Poppy. That's Poppy because Mm. you're, you're young in heaven, at least in the, in the level where you have a body or you're young. So she didn't recognize uh, her dad or her grandfather. I'm sorry. Great grandfather's being old. Um, There are, Out of the 700 testimonies, there were two people who were blind since birth. They described seeing colors for the first time. Now, this gets kind of interesting because they couldn't describe what colors they saw. Yeah. Because they don't know, you know, which word goes with with which color. Right. But they could describe the various shades and, 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 uh, yeah, all the colors around. So there's a lot of things that happened like that. Uh, One woman, for instance, she had a near-death experience in a hospital and when she was coming out of her body, going up towards heaven, she's up and there's a shoe on this edge. Now she told the hospital employee about what she saw and this guy, you know, doesn't believe her. And so he has to find the maintenance guy to unlock the door of the hospital roof to go up there. And he finds the shoe just where the lady described it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and probably the biggest evidence that's not a trick of the dying brain is the after effects. Hallucinations or a dying brain generally doesn't change a person's life. They come back less materialistic, more altruistic. They have career changes. One man who was a policeman became a teacher. Another man who was involved in organized crime became a counselor for delinquent youths. Uh, A man who was a billionaire gave up all his ties to the finance industry to become a qualified family counselor. It it changes their lives. They come back completely different people and hallucinations don't do that. Mm -hmm. Are you a religious person? And if so, do you see, you know, these experiences as religious experiences or, or what is your viewpoint on that? Well, I was religious. I was raised Catholic. And then later I became, uh, what would one say, a born-again Christian. And so I was very invested in that religion. And when I started investigating these experiences, it was very traumatic for me because they were saying things that didn't match with what I heard in my religion. So, no, I don't subscribe to a particular religion anymore. Mm. Um, The way the afterlife, the way God and heaven views religion is very interesting the best analogy I can think of is 
if you think of God being a tree with a massive loving trunk and roots that spread out into the ground to connect all of humanity, there are many different branches in that tree. And some may branch out as Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, Judaism. You can branch out in any way you want and still be part of the trunk. Heaven is not invested in the dynamics of religious structure as we here are on earth. They understand that some people need structure to connect to God, but they don't care how you come to find God. They're just happy that you did. And some people even asked when they were up in heaven, uh, what, what's the correct religion, expecting to hear something like Catholicism or Judaism or something like that. And the answer is always the same. They say the best religion is the one that brings you closest to God. And they're okay, even if you're an agnostic or an atheist. I mean, heaven has no judgments about our judgments. The analogy I like to use is that imagine if you were married and you were in a bitter divorce and your spouse uh, gains custody of the children and out of bitterness, she takes them far away, hides them from you, and you're out of contact for many, many years and you search for them in desperation and you can't find them and you just want to see your kids so badly. And one day the phone rings and they say, hey, it's us. We've been looking for you. We're in your neighborhood. We want to come and see you. Can we come? And you're excited. And yeah, yeah, I want to see you. And so you go outside and you wait. And 10 minutes later, there's a car coming down the street. It's them. Now, do you care what kind of car they're driving? Mm -hmm. Do you care if it's a brand new car in perfect condition or if it's a beat up old car with a lot of problems? You don't care. You're just happy to see your kids. Heaven doesn't care if you're in a religion that's got, you know, very good doctrines and or it's if it's got a lot of questionable doctrines and bad beliefs that are off. They don't care. God is just happy that you found him. He welcomes you home with open arms, no matter what tool you use to find him. And I like to say that religion is like Captain Cook's brew. Uh, back in the 1700s, when ships embarked on long voyages, Half the crew or more would die from scurvy, which is a disease resulting from a long-term lack of vitamin C in the diet. So, you know, they would eat salt beef and things like that. They wouldn't get fresh fruits and vegetables, so they would die of lack of vitamin C. They didn't know what caused scurvy, but Captain Cook came up with a brew, and it had sauerkraut and malt and vinegar and all sorts of weird stuff in it. But one of the ingredients was lemon syrup, which is loaded with vitamin C. So if you drank Captain Cook's brew, you didn't get scurvy, but there was only one active ingredient, and that was the lemon syrup, the vitamin C. And the active ingredient in any religion is love. And so many of the world's religions talk about the same things, brotherly love, charity, forgiveness, acceptance, you know, good behavior, community, cooperation. There's much more in common with all the world's religions, and there's so much that points to a, a monotheistic God. Over 80% of the world believes in a monotheistic God in the afterlife. So I see religions as just different branches of different cultures honoring God in their own way. Hmm. What do you think the point is of life on earth? Wow, that's a tough one. So that's a lengthy explanation, a very good question. Life on earth. So it's, it, this is a hard one to swallow. But physical life, what we're doing now, we are the engine of growth 
of God. So how can I put this into words? Imagine you're an immortal human. You've been here forever. You've done everything there is to do. You know everything there is to know. You're not going to grow. But you can do anything you want. You're, you're powerful. You can create any scenario you want. So one way to learn and to grow would be to forget that you're immortal and pretend that you're mortal. And it's a learning experience. So contrast is one of the things. If uh, you go for three days without eating and you eat food, you're going to appreciate it a lot more uh, now that you went without. And that's one way that consciousness grows. So physical life is sort of the engine of growth of God. I used to live next to Disneyland and every relative that came out, they all wanted to go to Disneyland. And I'd been there a gazillion times and it's boring for me. But the kids that went there for the first time, they had a great time. What if I could pretend not to be an adult? What if I could pretend that I was a child and I had never been to Disneyland? I forget. And I spend the whole day just having the time of my life. And when it's over with, I'm an adult again. I have my memories of all my trips to Disneyland, but I have the memory of this awesome experience. So when you're down here, you experience all these emotions. You know, you experience fear. And when you experience fear, which is separation from love, you, you can grow love so much more. Dipping into darkness, behaving badly is like a, a bow and arrow. And you take this bow and arrow and you pull back on the bowstring, pointing the arrow upwards. The further you dip in the darkness, when you let go of that arrow, it goes up. So the more you experience what you don't want, the more you can grow what you do. And it's also a fun experience. I mean, if you think about the ultimate virtual reality, what if you wanted to experience being a soldier in World War II? Okay, so you're, you're a leader of a country and there's this other leader of a country and you're going to go to war and you want to experience what war is like before you decide to do this. Let's say you had a virtual reality machine. We're getting pretty good with them right now. But what if this virtual reality machine was so good it was indistinguishable from reality and you're there in a war and bullets are whizzing by? There's something missing, isn't there? Are you really scared? No, you know it's a simulation. You have to forget that you're in a simulation. So what we do as human beings is a little piece of God separates itself, comes down to the earth, pretends to be human, forgets that it's immortal, forgets that it's a piece of God, forgets that it's divine and eternal, and experiences all these things. And some of it's really scary, and some of it's really fun. But we are considered by those in heaven as the daredevil souls. We're the ones out in the fringes, the growth of, of God. We are on the outside of the fractal of God, causing the growth. We're like the funnest part of himself. So that's, that's the best way I can describe it. Do you believe in reincarnation? And or do you believe that when we, we go back and we stay there, do we become one with God and we completely lose sense of self or we're with him and then come back or go somewhere else? Or what do you think? Well, you can merge with God. Um, 
I don't believe in reincarnation in the classic sense where it's one life after the other without a connection in between. I was very, very disturbed the first time I heard testimonies where they had life reviews and they described seeing other lifetimes because reincarnation was something that was a no-no in Christianity. Uh, but the evidence became very overwhelming. So what it is, is just like a human being enjoys experiencing a different reality by reading a really good book or getting into a movie. I mean, you're, you're into the movie if it's really good and you feel like you're there. Uh, souls enjoy incarnating into different existences to experience a different reality, to learn, to have fun. So yes, we have multiple lifetimes the average human being in temporal terms, remember, there's no time in heaven, so you can't really put it in temporal terms. But if you were to add it all up, the average human being is probably over a million years old. Most of the souls on this planet are very old because it's the most difficult planet in the universe to incarnate into. People have described incarnating onto other planets with intelligent life. So, yes, it's a process that we do. In heaven, you can merge with God when you want. You can separate out again. If uh, think about it like a computer program, when you type a paper in, in Word or on your computer and you save it, it's in the computer, but you can bring it out anytime you want. And there it is. Same with a movie. You save a movie on your computer. It's just ones and zeros. It's not separate from the computer, but you bring it out and all of a sudden it's there again, separate. So people have described merging with God. People have described this game of sort of uh, beginning the merge and when they get so much ecstasy and and bliss they can barely take it they back off again and they play this little game of merging and backing off uh, i've heard quite a few near-death experiences where they did this for some time mm -hmm. so multiple lives yes reincarnation in the classical sense it's uh it's more like deciding to have an experience in in physical incarnation and you don't have to you never have to come back down here you can learn all you want in the afterlife but this is like the fast course, the, the fast learning, the, the boost of consciousness that really pushes things forward fast. It's tough, but it's good for you. It's like, um, you know, like uh, Green Berets or Navy SEALs, you know, tough training, but you learn a lot in a short time. Mm -hmm. Some people are even told you don't have to go back there. Right. They're told. They're told right. by God. You know, you don't have to go back there. If it's too tough, don't do it. It's up to the individual soul. What is your opinion on consciousness? Do you believe that our consciousness is separate from the body, like some people may call dualism? Or do you believe that for our consciousness to be in this realm, it manifests a body? The body is separate. So um, you can have a body without a consciousness. So the way I understand it is when human beings develop to a certain point, the consciousness, a soul can inhabit it as a consciousness. Um, it's like a person getting in a car. So if you look at cars from a plane and you look at them all down driving around, it looks like they're alive, but it's really the person getting in the car. The car is designed for the human being to drive it. It doesn't really function without the human being in it. it. You can still operate. It'll still start and it'll run. But to drive it, it needs a human. So a body will operate and run. But to drive it, it needs a soul. It needs a consciousness. So do you think that 
I don't know if you want to call it heaven or the other dimension or the other realm. Do you think that's our normal operating state? And then this is the simulation because I'm sure that you've heard other, other people say that over there is more real than being here. Yes. That's another thing I hear over and over again from near death experiencers. They say, I, I felt more alive and more real than I've ever felt in my life. Um, people who have near death experiences, sometimes others will say, were you like a ghost? And they say, no, I was the opposite of a ghost. I was more real than ever. Um, when you're dreaming, you think your dream world is real. It is only when you wake up that you realize how unreal your dream world was. And if you can think about taking this to the next level, higher of consciousness, dream state to awaking state and go from awaking state to heaven. Yes. Heaven is our true home. This is just a temporary adventure we're having to learn, to have fun, to make connections, to grow. It's just a drop in the bucket compared to our eternal selves. I would think you would agree with this, that all that love that we experience is our normal operating state. And being here is like the, you know, the weird place. Absolutely. Uh, it is our normal state to be connected. Here we have the illusion of separateness, the illusion of being disconnected from source, the illusion of not feeling that overwhelming love. And that's part of the experience here. But it is an illusion. And what's it's that? just it's a game we play. And I think we mentioned earlier, either at the beginning or even before this podcast, that you know you feel like you've learned it all, but you still keep learning new stuff. So when I was a Christian, uh, I I thought I had all the answers. And when I started learning near death experiences, what I learned is I'm like a two year old child who spent half an hour learning how the space shuttle flies. And, you know, I'm going to try and explain it to somebody else. And that me talking to you is about that level. I not even a, a fraction of a percent. It's just and it's almost impossible from the physical plane to understand uh, the heavenly realm. It's people come back and these near death experiences, they get very frustrated, some of them, because they can't describe what they experienced. They can't even describe the love that they feel. I mean, one guy said, you know, he got the part where he was in the presence of uh, the being of light of God. And he said, he said, but it's so frustrating. I wish I could tell you about it because it's the best thing that ever happened to me in my whole life. But I get to it. I can't, I can't explain it to you. I can't describe it to you. Mm -hmm. And so it's completely ineffable. Um, right. How do you explain to somebody in an interactive dream what the real world is like? How do you explain colors to a person who's been blind since birth? How do you explain a symphony to a person who's been death since birth? It's mm. just impossible. You, you can't explain it. Right. Now, you are mentioning people going to other worlds. Have you had a lot of people that you've interviewed talking about seeing aliens during their experience? No, uh, but a few have asked, you know, some, as I mentioned before, asked several thousand questions. And one of the very common questions are, are we alone in the universe? And they kind of chuckle. <laughs> no, the universe is full of life. And there are other dimensions with other universes that are also full of life. One man even says, well, what do they look like? And the way they teach you up there, they don't really talk via language. They show you. So it's a mind-to-mind -mind communication. And they show you things. So what they did is they paraded images in front of him. And he said it was a very long procession of images. And when I asked him 
how long? He says, well, there's no time up there, but in temporal terms, you'd have had to watch it for a couple of weeks. Hmm. And he said at first they were humanoid and then it got very different and even more different. And at some point, these creatures and these beings were so weird that he says, okay, that's enough. I don't want to see any more. And they said, but you've only, you haven't even seen 1% yet. <laughs> so yeah, we're, the universe is full of life. Uh, we're just one species of many. I have heard from the other side of the veil that there are communities. So in this galaxy, most of the life is humanoid. They pretty much look like us. I've had a couple guests tell me that they went to a water planet and, and the beings are water-based there. Oh, sure. I've heard of, I've heard descriptions of water-based plants. One guy described it being of an intelligent flying beings. And he said the buildings had holes in the sides and on the top, but there's no place for a person walking to enter. <laughs> so there are some planets I've heard described where the weather was so mild that they didn't have structures. They lived outside. Um, I've heard all sorts of odd descriptions, various places. Have you Apparently, heard? though, we have a lot of diversity. Apparently, in this galaxy, Earth, Earth was designed as a living genetic library, and we have a great diversity of life. And I have heard that some aliens travel the vast distances of space just to gaze at the great living library of Gaia because it's that beautiful. Hmm. And I think, you know, being born here, we don't always see their beauty, but... You know, I have had friends, for instance, that took psychedelics and they describe seeing an indescribable beauty when they look at nature. I think they're seeing the real thing. I think we're just used to it. What do you think about the state of the planet? Do you think that there's always been problems and pandemics and, you know, all the all the stuff that goes on in the planet? Are we in a bad shape in the planet or do you think it's always been in a bad shape and that's just the way it is? Well, again, we're getting the sketchy information, uh, less than a dozen testimonies where they talk about this stuff. But I have heard about civilizations that we have no knowledge of because they're older than 50,000 years where they had sort of a peaceful civilization. But for most of mankind's history, there's been conflict. And we tend to see the news, which is a well-crafted fear report. They're always reporting on the negative, rarely the positive. And so it tends to give us the impression that things aren't going well, when actually the opposite is true. We're playing out a beautifully elegant success story. Every planet in the universe with intelligent life takes one of two courses. They either destroy themselves through a combination of war and environmental disaster, or they learn how to live with each other and with the environment and cooperate, and they become an ascended species. We're on that second path. But just like any journey, there's always setbacks, a few major and a few minor. And the dance of consciousness is always two steps forward and one step back. And we are in a one step back phase. So the institutions that have served us for so long, government, the structure of authority, large corporations, those have to crumble. People have to lose faith in those to, to start a new system. And I've heard from near-death experiencers that within 150 years, this planet's going to look like a utopia. It won't be heaven on earth, but compared to today, it's going to be a utopia. Um, it's just a lot of resistance to change by the humans that are here. Many of the people in the older generation are awake spiritually and are part of the advance of consciousness. And others 
in power are going to have to die off. But when the younger generation comes in, they are going to be starting the process of peace on earth. So the analogy I like to use is imagine you have a, a big mansion that's been in your family for hundreds and hundreds of years, and the wood is rotten, and the plumbing is leaking, and the electrical is faulty, and the place is falling apart, and you just can't patch it up anymore. And the day the bulldozers come and knock it over, and you're watching it being destroyed, it's going to seem like the end. It's going to seem like this is just not good, but you're making way for something better. So we are in a change right now. We're in a major change. This is what some in the new age spirituality community refer to as the great awakening. People are waking up. They're realizing, you know, we deserve something better. Joy is our birthright. You know, we're not supposed to sit in office cubicles all day long and be miserable in our jobs. And that change is going to be painful. Um, Lee Carroll uh, one of my favorite spiritual guides says uh, to remember the terms suck, slow, uncomfortable change. <laughs> yeah. So we're going through it right now, but we're on a, we are a juggernaut headed towards a peaceful utopian planet. We have a bright future. We're just going to have a lot of bumps along the way. And all the things that are happening are part of that. Even uh, a pandemic has its purpose. People slowed down. Their lives were too busy. People, some people left the corporate world. Some were forced to face their relationships, bad relationships, and either work things out or separate. There was a lot of, there's a lot of good that happens from everything. One of the things near-death experiences say over and over again is there's a purpose for everything. They say things like, there's a perfect plan and it's working itself out and it's perfection. Well, sure doesn't seem like it from down here. It seems pretty chaotic, doesn't it? Well, everything has a, a purpose to it. Everything is bringing us to where we want to go. So it's actually a great success story. We're just going to have to be really, really patient. And the biggest thing, the most important thing is not to fear the changes. As, as we see the chaos around us, you know, we had riots here in the U.S. in the streets last year and all sorts of economic chaos from the pandemic and you know, racial divides and religious divides and terrorism and all these things. All these things are going to work themselves out eventually. They, they are going to work it out. And if you want to get some hope, look long term. Look back 500 years. If you lived in a village or a city, it was a regular thing that roving armies came through and, you know, pillaged the whole village and destroyed everything. Well, when's the last time you saw it on the news? There's a roving horde coming to destroy Boston. That's <laughs> not That doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Even 120 years ago, you pick up a newspaper and you'll see a, they talk about lynching a young black man for fraternizing with a white woman. Well, we don't do that. Anymore. We're not that barbaric. So we're changing. It's just real slow. Humans don't like to change fast. So it's coming. I like to tell people, just be patient. Change is uncomfortable. We're going to get to where we want to go. Well, if we become this utopian planet, will it still be a place to come and learn? Will it, you know, like, because we don't have all the conflict. Oh, Absolutely. Uh, generally, there's only one free will planet in the universe. I'm sorry, in the in a galaxy at, at a time, because it's like a, a research lab. You only need one. And once you get the information, you can share it with everybody. So there'll be another planet that goes through the chaos. 
where souls go to incarnate and to learn. But, you know, we'll still have things. We'll have some manufacturing. They describe the manufacturing as being drastically reduced due to mankind's new, less materialistic nature. And it'll be in remote areas. There'll be small communities of about 100 to 150 people. Uh, they will teach the children, considered the most important important resource, the most important thing in the world would be the children. And all of society will be focused on teaching them about love, nature, community. Uh, some communities will specialize in music. Some will specialize in agriculture. Some will specialize in, in uh, creative tasks or, or certain kinds of, of biological engineering. Uh, people will be able to communicate with plants, tell them where to grow. So we won't have to work so hard to make our gardens it's really going to be a neat place, but it will still be a place where we can learn and we'll live about 150 years. So the lifespans will increase as well. Has there been one or two NDEs that have just blown you away and, and even kind of changed your paradigm of thinking about things? Yes. Um, Howard Storm's NDE. That was the very first one I heard. And I will never forget it because I started, I, I was plagued with uh, chronic tendinitis uh, and I still have it today, but it's getting better. My body's slowly healing. But back then I was out of commission for two weeks. I couldn't work. I had it in my jaw. I had it in my arms, my feet. I couldn't stand on my feet for too long. I couldn't walk for too long. And I was devastated. And, and I had dozens of churches pray for me and hundreds of people pray for me. And I was lying in bed one day, and this is real hard to talk about because I remember the emotion of it. And I thought, well, it's one of two things. Either there is no God or more likely there is a God, but, you know, I'm, I haven't been an obedient Christian. He, I mean, I'm a bad son. He, he doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. And I was, you know, going back and forth from my chair to the bed because if I lie down too long, my back would hurt. If I sat too long, my hips hurt. And I clicked on a YouTube video and it was, it was his YouTube video talked about what happened. And he was kind of a, one of these tyrants that, you know, was always screaming and yelling and controlling and he died and he was having a bad experience. He called out to heaven for help and got rescued. And they're going, he's being taken towards this world of light and love. And you can see how good and amazing and beautiful it is. And he thinks they've made a mistake. I'm bad. He says, I felt like dirt, garbage, filth. And I thought they don't want me up there. And they stopped. And he was with Jesus. And Jesus is not like the religions portray him. He's the most awesome, amazing, really funny guy from what I've heard <laughs> person, but they stopped. And Jesus looked at me and says, we don't make mistakes. You belong here with us. And when I heard those words, I knew, I knew that my heavenly father never stopped loving me. And that, that was a moment that still touches me today. I get teared up just talking about it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And uh, probably another one would be The Birth Called Death is the book she wrote. Jordan, uh, I can't remember her name, but she's in LA. So she's got a book called The Birth Called Death. And I think her last name is Jordan, but she was a seven-year-old girl who uh, died of a fever and her brother took her many times to heaven. And she had very extensive experience. And I learned a lot in that testimony as well. 
Mm-hmm. And there's some very beautiful long testimonies where I learned so much. I think I've had four people say that they've been to a place that's Romanesque or Greek-like, and that's kind of where the Hall of Records or the Akashic Records are. Have you heard that description? I have heard about the Akashic Records. Uh, I believe that's what we would divide up and say is the first level of heaven. So there aren't really levels any more than there are levels of love. You know, you love your newborn baby. Well, how many loves are there? (laughs) You know, we divide things up. But in the most basic level of heaven, there's buildings and roads and trees and flowers and mountains and streams. And it's very beautiful. And there are buildings in place of Akashic records where you can go and and learn from other lives and the, the past lives of other people. And basically the records of the experiences of all the souls of, of all creation, I would imagine. Uh, some have described cathedrals that are glowing, that are built with crystals that glow with their own light. Now, this is kind of interesting because the first few times I heard this, I said, well, it sounds like they're mimicking our churches, you know? And they said, no, no, we mimic them. We know at some subconscious level what the cathedrals look like in this reality of heaven. And we don't have crystals that glow with their own light. So we do the closest thing we have, which is stained glass, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I've heard about these beautiful buildings and I've even heard about a process where they take this information that's, it's not a book book, but that's the best analogy I have and you open it and then it's just, you absorb everything and you learn, you know, what this record said. It's, it's quite an amazing place of learning from what I understand, but I've heard it mentioned a few times. So what do you think inspires you the most about these NDE testimonies that you've heard? Well, that I've got a bright future. I'm never going to die. I'm never alone. Ah, That's a big one. Uh, The first when I mentioned Howard Storm's testimony, when they sent him back, he was real upset. I mean, what they showed him about heaven, it's the most wonderful, fun, exciting, amazing place. And he wanted to go there. And they said, it's not your time. It's not you're ready. You know, you're not ready yet. You have to go back to earth and live the way God wanted you. You've got to you know, love your neighbor and love yourself and, and learn these lessons you're supposed to learn. And he says, you can't send me back because after being here and feeling your love, and you, you're going to send me back and I'll be down there and you'll be up here. And they said, do you not understand? We've been answering all these questions. We'll explain all this stuff to you. You've never been alone down there. You've never been alone for a single minute. There are always spirits and beings and guides and angels. They're helping with you, holding your hand. In the worst of times when you're crying, they're, they're crying with you. And just seeing all the stuff, you know, these coincidences, there's another thing there. There are no coincidences. They all say that. No coincidences. So now just seeing all these little things that happen and how much help and support and guidance I get. Sometimes in my worst moments, you know, you get a phone call from the person you needed to hear the most. And uh, that's them. They're helping us. And just to know I'm not alone down here because you feel alone. Sometimes you feel very alone. And that's a wonderful feeling to know I'm always loved and protected and there's nothing i could do nothing that would make god love me one bit less that's a pretty good thing i mean you ever meet one of these guys maybe a wealthy person who's you know his son is everything to him and no matter how horrible his son behaves he's just like the best guy in the world and and you know he can do no wrong 
you know, you take that and multiply it by a thousand, and that's how heaven feels about it. They love us no matter what we do, no matter how badly we behave or or what we do, they just love us so much, and that's a big comfort to me. Do you believe that everybody has a guardian angel or multiple guardian angels with them at all times? Yes, I've heard that most human beings have a minimum of two at all times. And generally, it can be five or 10, depending on how hard of a time the person's going through. Uh, when people near death, uh, sometimes they can have 20 around them. And if you want to find out about this, you talk to a hospice nurse and you say, have any of your patients talked about seeing you know, people around their bed before they die? And they'll, they'll fill your ears with some stories. My ex-wife is a hospice nurse, and I've heard some stories from her. It seems like the consensus is that if you find yourself going to hell during your NDE, if you call out to Jesus or God, you'll get out. What do you think? Yes, um, it's been made pretty clear to me that hell is not a punishment. It's not a sentence. The creative benevolent source of all life does not seek revenge, does not punish. It doesn't even have expectation, simply loves but a person be, can become disconnected. They can decide to disconnect from source or focus on negativity or fear. And when that happens, you can have an, a hellish experience. Every single hellish NDE, and out of the 700, only about 5% were hellish experiences. But every single one, when they call out for help, they are always rescued, always. Even one guy who was a... He was a Nazi who tortured people in a concentration camp. And in heaven, he saw one of the young girls he tortured. And they could communicate. And he asked her for forgiveness. And she did. And he was immediately out of that place, gone. He couldn't forgive himself. That's why he was there. And she helped him. All right. With all these testimonies and research that you're doing, are you going to write a book? Or what are you doing with all this? Yes, I published a book called God Took My Clothes. <laughs> The name actually came from the very first experience I talked about, Howard Storm. He was in a hellish environment first, and he got rescued from there when he called out to Jesus for help. And But he was naked the whole time during, during his experience, and he was, he was real embarrassed about it at first. Mm -hmm. and, this, and the way they explained it to him is like, you embarrassed when a dog is walking down the street? Do you go, there's a naked dog? And, no, that's just what a dog looked like. And I said, well, that's just what a human looks like. So... Yes, I spent uh, quite a few years writing the book, and there's a free preview copy you can download at godtookmyclothes.com, and the book is available at all the major online bookstores in paperback and ebook, no hardcover yet. Um, I, with the help of my wife, who speaks Spanish, we translate it into Spanish. It's not published in Spanish so I'm allowed to give that one away for free. So if you speak Spanish, you can go to my website and download the entire book and read it for free. It's an Adobe Acrobat, Acrobat PDF uh, document. Ooh, that's great. You got anything else that you're working on that you want us to know about? Uh, no, I, I am thinking about a second book because a lot of the stuff I heard from near-death experience testimonies was just too wild to put into a a book about near-death experiences. And I was thinking about writing a science fiction book, uh, you know, mm -hmm. talk about some, actually some of the alien stuff we talked about and mm -hmm. things like that, that I thought I better not put that. I don't want people throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about it. We'll see. Now, I got a farm and a house I got to fix up here and it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Are you a public person? 
And if someone wants to reach out to you and chat with you after this podcast, do you welcome that? I absolutely am. Uh, my book is published fairly recently, so it's not, you know, I'm not some big selling author. Anybody who wants to call me or email me, I actually have my email and my phone number on my website, mm-hmm. uh, godtookmyclothes.com. So they can call me. I don't charge for my services. I'm a retired engineer, so I have quite a bit of time and I'm happy to help anybody who maybe if you had a near-death experience and you just, you know, family and friends might not accept you talking about it, you'll find me very open-minded. Or if you just have some questions about spirituality or going through a spiritual awakening, which can be quite uh, turbulent and I've gone through it, uh, I, I can help you out. I'm happy to do that. We're here to all help each other and cooperate. Mm, that's great. A lot of people will say they have a body in the afterlife, a translucent body. Um, maybe even people say they're an orb. Do you think that there's one certain thing that we are or you you are whatever you want to be? Well, the purest thing is an orb, but you can manifest in anybody you want. So on the again, there's no levels in heaven, but for lack of a better term, on the lo- lowest level of heaven, you know, people have their bodies. They generally choose to be young. But uh, even one girl was shown how like you go to the next higher level and you can come back as any figure you want. Matter of fact, uh, angels, as they appear to people who have near-death experiences, sometimes they appear in our perception of angels, a giant uh, person, white with wings and a halo. But they do that for our benefit to make us feel comfortable. In their natural state, they are radiant beings of light and love. I believe that those orbs of energy you just mentioned, that's sort of the natural state, if you can say that. And you can manifest anything. So these angels would ask these people having a near-death experience, are you comfortable with this appearance or do you want us to appear a different way? I mean, they can appear as a, you know, a, an animal or a person or a man or a woman or a, you know, a loved one. They can, they can do anything they want in terms of appearance. Mm. You can yeah. manifest anything you want in heaven. Thoughts are things. And that's one of the things they teach you. Mm. Your thoughts become things. So you create with your mind. Right. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard more than one people describe angels as like 12 foot tall, 13 foot tall, you know, really big. That's a common thing. And um, uh, I think I've even heard someone say that we normally take the age of about 30 ish. But, you know, yep, that's, yeah. Mid 20s, 30s, that's exactly what I've heard over and over again. Yes. I don't know Absolutely. why that's the golden age. <laughs> well, it's, I think it's when you look best. I, I think I saw some uh, survey they did a while back and they said, What age do people look the best at? And for women, they said it was 27. For men, it was 28. So that's about what you look like in heaven. You look mm-hmm. 27, 20. You look the best you do. So mm-hmm. uh, I remember one woman, she. She said, I saw my grandmother in heaven, but it didn't look like my grandmother. I says, what do you mean? She goes, well, my grandmother was an old woman with no teeth and wrinkled skin and gray hair and hunched over. And in heaven, she was a beautiful, young, 30-year-old woman with long black hair and smiled and had a full set of white, bright teeth. And yeah, so, uh, the, the other thing is the feeling, especially older people. Um, you know, when your body gets older, it gets tired. When you're out of your body, you are feeling quite young and energetic again, and it feels wonderful. One young girl, as she was uh, going through the tunnel with her, she was being guided by her brother. Sometimes they send somebody to guide you through the tunnel. And most of the time, not, but sometimes they do. Uh, she saw the people traveling towards 
the afterlife. And some people were sort of this calm, excited, what's next feeling. And others were, for lack of a better term, just like dancing, ecstatic with joy, like, why? And she says, what's up with them? And her brother said, well, those are people who are in old, broken down bodies and full of pain, and they are overjoyed to be young and healthy again. Mm-hmm. So every time my back hurts or something, you know, I think, oh, it's only for a while. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. going to be healthy and young again in the afterlife. And I'll come back. You know, you're coming back here. If you're here now during these exciting times, you're coming back. You're not going to miss the grand finale. Oh. You're going to be back for when we have finally achieved peace on earth and this utopian society. Anybody watching this, you've probably been working on this for a long time and many lifetimes. You'll be back for the for the uh, grand finale of the whole thing. So you're saying the grand finale is in about 150 years? That's what I understand, but it's up to us with the timeline. So the faster we do it, the more uncomfortable it's going to be. Uh, if we want to do it easier, it's going to be slower. It's up to human collective consciousness how fast we want to go. Uh, so, it, yeah, it just depends. There's no set timeline. Before we wrap this up, do you have one last positive message that you can share with everyone? You are loved no matter what you do. And if you want to have a good life, you put out what you want. It's all about love. You start loving others, you're going to be amazed at the response, especially what's most meaningful to those on the other side of the veil is when we love people who our egos judge don't deserve our love and forgiveness and compassion. That's the most special thing to them in the whole world. So it's all about love. That's a great message. David, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you and I wish you massive success in whatever you're doing and have a great evening. And thank you so much for the invite, Jeff. I really enjoyed this session. I hope to talk with you again soon. Me too. Take care. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.